Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. You know the stereotypes around masculinity, toughness, stoicism, strength. Those are some of the expectations for men, expectations that can be debilitating and outright harmful for men to live up to. But leaders of men groups, men's groups are challenging the idea that men are expected to bottle up their emotions and be tough guys in isolation. Men's groups provide opportunities for men to gather and express themselves, to explore their thoughts and create bonds of brotherhood and support. Later this hour, we'll meet some local leaders of men groups and talk about how they are creating opportunities for fraternity. But first, it's time for Add Us. Each week, we take time to read the comments so you don't have to. Yes, I am encouraging you to literally at us on Twitter at This Is Nashville and on Instagram at This Is Nashville underscore WPLN. Joining me now with a look back at the past few weeks is our senior producer, Steve Harouche. Hey, Steve. Hey, Khalil. Good oh, to see you. Good to see you too, my friend. So what's new? Well, uh, as I think people are aware, we were off air last week and we got to spend some time out in the community, which was great. Truly I had was. I had an amazing time at an event in North Nashville that I will be talking more about later. But um, before that, two whole Fridays ago, we had a show about Nashville's ride ecosystem. Yes. Talking about taxis and ride shares. That's right. And uh, we got a lot of tweets during that show that we weren't able to get to. And I think it's fair to say that there's still a wide range of opinions out there on how rideshares like Uber and Lyft or Uber and Life does. <laughs> we, we heard in some archival tape uh-huh. um, how, how those companies have really changed the game here in Nashville. It really has become a little bit of a hot button issue. Our guest, Samina Globe, said that she's out there driving 12 hour shifts mm-hmm. and barely making it. We got a tweet in response from Jessica Woodward Brown, who said, quote, I so disagree with much of what the rideshare driver and retired taxi driver said. I make my goals slash pay my bills for way less than 12 hours, end quote. In another tweet, she added, quote, and the cab guy knows nothing about how to tell if you have a real app. It's on the driver's phone and on the customer's phone, and there are plenty of rideshare drivers feeding their families. Background checks are required, a clean driving record. He was a grump, end quote. Wow. Um, I would say a fairly friendly grump, but uh, you know, point taken about the about the app um, and and how to tell. But um, I, I guess that comments like that go to show that not every rideshare driver's experience is the same. And like I said, there's a range of feelings out there. Um, so really, really switching gears here. Pardon the pun. Um, on Tuesday of this week, we remembered the life of Bishop Marcus Campbell the North Nashville pastor who dedicated his life to helping teens in need. Yeah, that was a really special episode just to, to, to be a part of that and to hear about this man and the work that he has done for the community. It was truly, truly, it touched me deeply. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really powerful. And, um, you know, we got the, a chance to sit down with Bishop's widow, Stacy Campbell, after the show, she said that her husband was her everything and that nothing he did happened without her because as she put it, They were one. You can really feel that when we sat down to talk with her. And, you know, something that stood out to me was Stacy said, quote, oftentimes I would tell him I hated Bishop because I had to share Bishop with everyone all the time. 
But I loved Marcus because I could have a little bit of quality time with Marcus, but I couldn't have one without the other, end quote. Yeah. Um, we heard from a lot of folks online who were really moved by the work uh, Bishop Campbell did in the community. And one thing Stacey Campbell wanted to emphasize is that his loved ones are still carrying on that work. That's right. And uh, they have an upcoming back to school backpack giveaway, and they're asking for donations like school supplies and uniforms. They're also looking for volunteers and financial dona donations as well. The best way to get involved is to contact them via email at Mount Carmel NBC Nashville at gmail.com. Again, Mount Carmel NBC Nashville at gmail.com. We'll also put the link to that in Tuesday's episode post. Moving on, yesterday's show was all about zoning. Yes, it was. And uh, there was a lot of conversation online that we we don't even have time to summarize it here. Uh, that includes a pretty robust back and forth over that East Nashville project that we discussed on air. Mm -hmm. um, this theme of density and progress versus preserving the vibes in the neighborhood. It's a, it's a familiar conversation here in the new Nashville. Uh, Short-term rentals also came up again um, in that online conversation. Uh, warning again to sensitive listeners, this Twitter user's name is a bit much. Um, Bastard Bukowski tweeted, quote, the zoning slash planning commission is a joke. That's why people don't get involved. The commission rubber stamps zoning changes. Let's talk about how zoning changes can bypass short-term rental property permit limits. My neighboring lot changed to SP and has 21 STRP issued permits for one lot, wow. end quote. That is a lot for one lot. Okay, so the community input started before we even went on air. Okay, we, as we always do for our Citizen Nashville episodes, we put out a call for questions from the community, and that's how we do it, because it, when it comes to these type of issues, we want to hear what's on the minds of our fellow Nashvilleians. But some folks, they seem to think that we meant we were cutting some corners or something. Yes, uh, there was some debate about this over on the website, twitter.com. You may have heard of it. Mm -hmm. the, the pamphleteer, quote, tweeted our call for zoning questions and added this comment, quote, this is the type of content you get when 90% of your staff is new to a city, just looking at codes and laws on the books, not even trying to understand an area, its people, or why laws emerged, just criticizing without understanding, end quote. Hmm. So I'm, I'm not sure how asking for questions about zoning is criticizing without understanding. But in any case, this prompted a response from a Twitter user named Ben, who said, quote, zoning laws are a major driver of how a city looks and feels and who can live where. They're usually a great way to see what a city actually values, end quote. Then Virgil Hunt jumped into the thread to say, quote, I don't disagree. My point is that the only people fired up about zoning laws are those that are new to town and don't understand the city, end quote. To which Ben then responded, quote, I'd argue they understand the city pretty well if they're focused on zoning and they're fired up because our zoning shows a disconnect between the city we say we are and the city we actually are, end quote. All right. A respectful exchange on Twitter. Mm, the odds of that are kind of like <laughs> winning the Powerball today. All right, so or was it Thread Sky or Blue Post? Anyway, you know, I heard about that part about, quote, the staff are new to the city, end quote. And I'm guessing that has something to do with our new producer, Char Datston. Yes, uh, Char just moved here from Chicago. And can I just say, we are thrilled to have him. Very, very thrilled to have him. So, uh, so when Char got here, he tweeted, quote, hi, 
Nashville. I'm so excited to be your new This Is Nashville producer. I've got to be honest, though, I'm brand new to this city and I barely know a soul. So tell me, what are the people, places, events in Nashville you want me to know about? Now, this got a lot of positive reaction and he's gotten some really nice invitations uh, to get to know the city better. But as you pointed out, Cleo, there was some negativity also. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Char made the, the thoughtful observation that the negative reactions to this tweet, and I, I want to emphasize again, these were the far outnumbered by the positive reactions. Um, but these negative reactions reveal what he called a pain point between the old and the new Nashville, which is a big part of why we launched this, though, right, to, to dive into that. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we don't always appreciate what newcomers can add to the city because I think those of us who have been here a long time sometimes feel like the new Nashville means taking away from what made this place so great. We talked about all this head on in our first episode, um, but it is definitely a conversation we're going to keep having. That's right. And that is our senior producer, Steve Harouche. Thanks for this roundup, Steve. You got it. And don't you forget to add us on Twitter and Instagram. Let's keep the comments coming. Also, fill out our community survey to let us know what topics you want us to cover at This Is Nashville, old and new Nashville alike. It's super quick and easy, and it helps us produce shows with your needs and interests in mind. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn more about some local men's groups that addressed manhood and masculinity. Are you currently in a men's group? Have you been a part of one? What was your experience? How was it? Let us know and tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Lake Alona, and this is Nashville. What does it mean to be a man? How is masculinity expressed? Some men are asking these questions in order to find a path that veers from the more traditional definitions of manhood, definitions that can be harmful and isolating. But where can men go to talk about what they are going through? Where can they find others who will offer guidance and support? The answer, men's groups. Men's groups offer an opportunity for men to share their stories and to find the tools to be the type of man they want to be. My next guest is a leader of a local men's group, Jokel, sorry, pardon me, Joseph Boozley is the founder and creator of Men IQ, a local men's group. Joseph, thanks for being here and welcome to This Is Nashville. Thanks, Khalil. Thanks for having me. So tell me more about Men IQ. What's the focus of the group? Yeah, uh, so Men IQ uh, stands for Men of High Integrity and Quality, um, and the focus is cultivating a sense of self-awareness and emotional intelligence in men, um, particularly to... Uh, really provide more conflict resolution skills in the home, right? Um, We definitely find that in our community, the community we serve, which is primarily black men, um, the major epidemic, I guess, that's going unresolved is fatherless homes. And that primarily comes from an inability, inability rather, to resolve conflict and um, an ability to recognize your own emotional experience. Mm. What are the gatherings like? Yeah, so... uh, Many types. We we do retreats. Uh, that's probably the biggest and most um, intensive, uh, like immersion experience. But we also do on monthly hike. We do a monthly hike for wellness. We call it moving with mindfulness. Um, and we also we started with a panel after we did our youth program and realized 
we need to spend more time focusing on adult men. Like we focus on young men, right, in America a lot. But after they reach the age of 18, sometimes even 21, there's not a lot of continuing support for men. And so it's like there's a gap here, right? The 20s is an intense time to navigate. Um, a new fatherhood, marriage, intense time to navigate. And so um, our, our, our gatherings start with the, start with the hike. Uh, we also do panels where we talk to men that have navigated this experience and can speak from, um, not from a, particularly a space of uh, expertise, but a, a, a general, uh, of genuine vulnerability um, about what they've learned as a father, what they've learned as a husband, and what they've learned um, even through their stumbles. So It's interesting what you said about, you know, working with the youth as opposed to working with adult men. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people would argue you don't really become an adult until you're 26, 25, 26, when your yeah. frontal lobe is finished, you know, there's a difference between having worked with young people, difference between an 18 year old and a 27 year old when it comes to that. But I'm interested in the moment where you recognize that this is something you wanted to do and get started. Well, uh, great question there. Um, so in college, actually, I love working with young men because I didn't have a lot of men in my life. Um, I had a father, loved him, but um, he, didn't, he didn't live in the home. And so when I would visit my cousins, my mom would often send me to visit my cousins uh, in Queens. Uh, they were four brothers. And so it was me, my mom, my sister, my aunt, sometimes my grandma. I go to my dad's house. It was my dad, my stepmom, my three stepsisters. Mm-hmm. Like, man, like, but one to two weekends a month, I'd visit my cousins. And I'm like, man, brotherhood, man, um, just being a guy. And so when I started college at Fisk University, there was a brother named Isaac Thompson, um, amazing mentor of mine, ran a, a youth program called the Thrust Math and Science Program. And it started with the all boys summer camp. And so that's really where I started back in 08, uh, just being a counselor, being a mentor there. And then as I transitioned out of uh, university, I became the director. And then um, in 2020, uh, in the dawn of the epidemic, we, we saw like, okay, a lot of people don't have anything to do and actually, um, me and my wife, we had conceived. And so as I'm getting ready to become a father, I'm like, I don't feel ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, okay, wait a second. Um, I, you know, I've done the military. I've done a couple of fraternities. I've done all types of things for personal and professional development. And I felt completely unprepared for fatherhood. And so that whole nine month period of anticipating becoming a father, I was just interviewing men. I was just talking to men I knew, upstanding um good men that had worked together with their wives or even working together with their co-parent in a healthy way. And I'm like, do you got any tips? And I realized by at the end of that journey, I was like, there's a lot of guys like me that are, are terrified about becoming a father. They're highly underprepared, but they don't even have the village network that I had to ask these men. They, and so like this, this is a need, right? This is, and so just started an initiative, no, no major goals in sight, just to open the conversation up and and um, see who wanted to speak with other men and, and, and learn from each other. My next guest is also a leader of a local men's group. Jimmy Addison is the organizer of Conscious Men's Circle Nashville. Jimmy, welcome and thanks for being with us. Awesome. Thanks for having me. How did you come to work with men's groups? Um, I went through a whole personal and trans, uh, transpersonal and spiritual journey myself. Uh, after therapy, I realized I was a codependent. Um, and I was in band therapy. I was traveling as a musician in Los Angeles and, um, went down this whole spiritual journey, which is where I met my wife who had been doing conscious work for a really long time. Um, so she and I left during the pandemic, we traveled all across the world in different communities and, 
Ibiza, Spain, and Austin, Texas, and Boulder, Colorado, and Costa Rica, uh, doing a lot of workshops. And I just found that I was I was drawn to men's work. Um, it's been my my background as as a kid growing up in a, a church group called Royal Ambassadors, and my dad is like a counselor. And um, so, yeah, my qualifications are just the school of hard knocks, just like working through it and seeing a need. So tell me more about Conscious Men's Circle. What are what are the meetings like? Yeah, so we host a variety of um, physical and mental activities that are healthy for men. And uh, what that looks like for about the first hour and a half, we'll do a physical activity. doesn't matter your lev- level of athleticism. It's about how you relate to the spirit of competition, how you relate uh, to that journey yourself. And then we uh, will sit in circle and we'll host a variety of prompts. Uh, we'll ask questions like, um, what kind of masks do you wear and as a man? And uh, how do, what consequence does that have in your life? Um, how does that show up for you? So we'll... We'll do that, and we have we usually have a, a new guest every time. We'll lead people through uh, breathwork exercises, um, also all, all sorts of things. So it's a variety of different things, usually centered around um, a very specific theme mm. each month. Now, something that's interesting to me is that you start off with physical. Yeah. Activities. And that reminds me of when I was a teacher teaching elementary school. We all remember elementary school. You're out there on the yard running around having fun. The bell rings, you line up and you go to class. When my students would come to class, the boys would still be bouncing off of the walls. All the girls ready to learn and get through the lesson. My remedy, I send the boys back out. 15 more minutes, run around, be crazy. They came back in tired, huffing and puffing, but they were calm. They were ready to listen and they were ready to learn. Absolutely. Focused. Focused that, it that's is. It. You know, you know, tell me about your travels as you explored masculinity and what it means to be a man. You know, you mentioned some of the places that you went. What did you find where you were out there? Well, Conscious Community uh, is a global community, really. And there are all these hubs all across the world. Um, Austin, Texas has a big win. Boulder, Colorado in this country, Topanga Canyon, California. Um, but also they're in Bali and they're in Ibiza, Spain, and they're in Costa Rica. And what conscious community really is that I, that I found is a consent forward culture. It's, uh, creating a culture around understanding and having a self-awareness and clarity of your, your desires, your boundaries, and being able to communicate those with other people. So I saw a lot of women and men doing this work, but I was really gravitating and drawn towards the men that were doing this work. There are national groups out there like Sacred Sons and, um, and other groups that are really doing deep um, transpersonal and spiritual work. And I had the opportunity to attend a lot of uh, workshops like in Costa Rica. We spent a good deal of time there. Uh, I'm a new father, so uh, of a, a beautiful uh, boy. Uh, his name's Rio. He's a year and a half, and I got another one on the way. Congratulations. Thank you. So I, um, yeah, I just, I, I feel inherently drawn to this kind of work because it's important to see how I show up for my son in this world. Um, and I want to, I want to include more people in this. One of the things I love about Nashville is there's no cool kids club in Nashville. You know, you go to other cities and, uh, spirituality can be, um, kind of a clicky thing, you know, or, yeah. Yeah, but it's what I love about Nashville is it's so such an inclusive environment, and um, I want to celebrate that and cel- allow men an opportunity to celebrate their masculinity as well. Now, before your first child was born, 
yeah. the first son was born. Did you have some of the same anxieties that, that we had from Joseph? Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, did you search out for advice on, I, on how all I can kinds be a great of things? Um, yeah. Was, even the birth process with my wife, she wanted a natural birth and um, didn't want to go to the hospital. And, and I wanted me to deliver our child, you know, that going through that, um, like surrendering mm -hmm. type of surrender and realizing that, okay, you know, this is natural. This is her body. She's in control of this. The best way that I can show up for her is to just be that anchor and to hold on to that, um, to hold on to whatever she needs me to. You know, Joseph, do you guys talk about fatherhood at Men IQ? All the time. Talk, talk to me about those conversations. So uh, actually, that's our first panel. Our first panel um, began around fatherhood in 2021 because we knew uh, it's, a, it's one of those rites of passage that most men are going to go through. Not, not every man will get married. Um, not every, uh, particularly in the communities I serve. Um, and not every man will go through graduation or, or the collegiate experience, but there's a rise of passage going from boyhood to manhood that can be very unclear, right? Like, does it happen at 13? Like, does it happen at 21? Does it happen when someone's just like, hey man, you gotta get out of the house, you know? Hmm. Which might happen at 16. But that rise of passage for from I am a single man to whether I'm married or not, I'm a father, hmm. is a clear rites of passage that can't be ignored um, and will significantly change the trajectory of the world, the way you perceive and engage with the world. And so um, it's, it's, it's one we talk about a lot. Um, many of the guys that I work with uh, may be navigating co-parent relationships, potentially even some parental alienation experiences. And so really working to get back in their children's lives or maintain a healthy relationship with their, with their partner, if they're still together or their co-parent, their co-parent. Um, and so, yeah, it's like to, not tomorrow. We have a mental health conference starting tomorrow going into this weekend with the, our, our, one of our anchor partners, the Black Mental Health Village. Um, amazing group. Um, and we'll be doing one of our next panels there. And that'll be on Saturday, actually. And that panel will specifically be centered around co-parenting. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. We're talking this hour about men's groups and masculinity. My guests are Joseph Bousley and Bosley, pardon me, and Jimmy Addison. If you are part of a men's group, has it helped you? You can tweet us at This Is Nashville. Now, Joseph, you said something interesting. You talked about rites of passage, sure. right? And Jimmy, you were in other cultures, a lot of other cultures. The United States doesn't necessarily have this in the positive form. Mm -hmm. I've learned from my experience, but Rites of passage does happen for a lot of young people, young males and young females at 13, 12, 13 years old. And it's very directed to help them begin that path to adulthood. We have similar things here. When I was Los Angeles, in Los Angeles, I experienced a lot of kids, 12, 13. That's when they're, quote unquote, initiated into gang culture yep. and gang life. You know, what is the need for some sort of developed rites of passage system for young men, regardless of race and ethnicity, here in the United States. Jimmy, what do you think? Mm -hmm. I think that there's room for celebration for people. I think that there's room for people to celebrate when changes are happening in their life or something big, um, a big life event happens, whether that's, um, whether that's joining a sports team for the first time or whether mm -hmm. that's like, um, whether that's 
having your first girlfriend or whether that's meeting your wife or whether that's having your first child and going through that. I, I don't think that our culture celebrates enough mm. um, by and large. I think there are a lot of like Jewish cultures have that mm -hmm. uh, rites of passage. Um, Hispanic cultures have that and quinceañeras and, and different events that they have. But I think we've got a long way to go in this country, especially um, with with just allowing more opportunities for everyone to feel celebrated in these big rites of passages. Let me ask you guys, what does it mean to you to be a man, Joseph? Well, I was going to say, I, I did a rites of passage actually growing up. Okay. Um, back in New York, it was called I Am My Brother, um, the I Am My Brother program with Ife Tayo Cultural Arts Center. And I, I, I think that helped me understand not just being a band, but being a, a Pan-African man, um, that I had a commitment and a responsibility to my community always. I, I had uh, identity that wasn't enough to just walk out, but to, to, to be aware, to be conscious, right? Um, going to Fisk, we learned about double consciousness, which is a concept W.E.B. Du Bois developed in Tunis and understanding that there are times that even though we understand our experience of the world, is, is one way, um, and I guess they call it code switching now, but can be one way. It's, it may not it may not be necessary for me to be um, Black Panther Joe when I go to military training, basic training, right? Mm -hmm. Even though I, I, I'm always going to be Black Panther Joe and anybody that know me, I'm going to stand up for the, the, the values and the principles I live in. I don't also have to be an evangelist of that when I'm at basic training because I'm there for a different purpose, right? Um, and so rites of passage is understanding who you are, and as a man, um, that's something we all have to come into uh, 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 alignment with, right? We, we do a deep, a deep dive into knowledge itself, right? Uh, introspection and, and mission statements. But um, one, I, I'll just give you to you one of my good brothers, Kasim Bagani, will always say, you know, men, we have to at least adopt the four Ps if we're gonna um, show up for our family. And like, what are your four Ps, bro? I'm like, he's like. You know, definitely to protect, to show up and protect our community. But, we, you know, whether you are the breadwinner or not, you still got to provide something. You have mm -hmm. to bring, you, you're not going to, you're not going to go out and not bring something home and just expect to eat and just expect to, to live off of the, 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 um, the, the, what others could bring to the table. Mm -hmm. um, he, he says something a lot about preach and I, I, I didn't gravitate toward that initially, but he's just saying, Whatever ideologies you stand for, don't be afraid to speak up for it, right? A man that stands for nothing can fall for anything type thing. And then he says, preside. And um, I love that preside element because sometimes we think just doing it and providing is enough. But, like, we all know the struggles of young people that grow up in homes where, like, oh, my father— Provided a lot of resources, or our parents, but I, they but were never around. around. Yeah, they weren't. They weren't at my games. They weren't at my shows. Yeah. and so when I was looking for wisdom, I really was, you know, blind leading the blind, learning through social media, learning through TV, and so yeah, uh, at least you know, I I don't presume to say what it means to be a man, but I do like some of the things we've talked about in our groups and the four Bs, the four Ps rather, are the the ones that come up to mind right now. You know what y'all were saying to me? It kind of reminds me of. You know, the adage of men keeping it to ourselves, but you all are both working with men to express how you're feeling. No matter what you're feeling, you're expressing that freely in a safe environment, which is very, very key for mental health. Why is that important to your group, mm. Jimmy? Ah, it's so important um, to allow men a space to express their vulnerability. Yes. I feel I, I, we hold it in 
you know, a lot of times. And um, it because we don't feel like we'll be accepted or we feel um, as though we have to protect our family. Or maybe we'll be seen as being weak. Or maybe we'll be seen as being weak. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. But when you allow a space to open up where uh, people, where you don't cross talk people, you don't, um, you allow people to be who they are and express Mm -hmm. themselves and literally just listen to them, just hold space and listen to whatever's coming up for them as a man You'd be amazed at just the the impact that that has on them personally in their lives, in their interpersonal lives, in their family lives. Um, it's it's just so incredible. These stories that I hear people coming back, being like, you know, last last month really meant something to my family. What can people do who are listening? How can they hold space for the men in their lives? What can they do? I'd love to hear suggestions from both of you. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think I think. It's self-awareness and um, active listening. It's really active listening. It's making direct eye contact with somebody, not having your own agenda, and just really listening to what's on a person's like heart and soul. It can be uncomfortable for people, that dead air, that space, like whatever that is. But just like allow somebody to be themselves and see them for who they are. Mm-hmm. I think that goes whether you're talking about masculinity or whether, you know, you're, you know, talking about femininity. It doesn't, humans. it does it. We're humans. Yeah. yeah. It's listening to the human condition yeah. without judgment and trying to understand where a person's coming from and just absorbing it. Yeah. In this case, we're talking about groups for cis hetero men, but yeah. it could be anybody. Could be any, yeah. anybody. Yeah. Joseph. I, I love that. I love that. I, I'd also, um, just to put some, easy, tangible things for people. They call it third spaces. So getting out of the home and, and, and the work, but like going into a, a park or going for a walk. Um, spaces where you can open up conversation and dialogue and there's not an agenda. Um, I also would say uh, I found my guys, self-included, right? Even myself. Um, we tend to feel more comfortable being vulnerable after folks have been vulnerable with us. Right. Right. And so um, coming in, just like, so what's going on with you? Like when when they feel like the project, when they feel like the problem, like, you know, you're probably going to get a a very masked response versus when we're all just talking and sharing what's going on in our own journey. And they feel like they're part of community being vulnerable. Like you don't have to ask them to open up at that point. They're Mm going to naturally do and and move in kind with the group. How can some how can. You know, I understand this is what's happening within men and the groups that you're with, right? And conversations you're having with yourselves. But sometimes society has these expectations of men that are toxic Mm. and not right. Mm -hmm. How can people shift their own thinking when it comes to dealing with the men in their lives? Because they have this expectation of you being tough and you being this kind of uh, barbaric provider. Mm. And that's how they approach you. What can they do? What can other people do to change themselves to be better uh, be, to be of better service and help to the men in their lives. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't mind opening up with this. So I've been making like some acknowledgments of some influences in my life because I, I wouldn't be anything and anyone without the people and the the community that has has allowed me to grow. Um, so when I, when you say that nationally, there's a there's a good brother I really look up to and listen to a lot named Jason Wilson and has a really powerful, a cave of a doula movement. 
And he's just talking to men about getting out of the the bravado, the grind culture, all, all the things that are... Stop being hard. Hard, mm-hmm. you know. The, um, but, but like, when we celebrate and elevate those voices and those narratives versus, you know, a lot of times, and I was talking this, we had a men's meeting last night. So a lot of times we don't even get respected or, or valued if we're not angry, if we're not aggressive. Mm-hmm. You know, our women like, man, soft or or... And, and that's perpetuated, you know. I remember growing up, <laughs> it's funny you said, uh, uh, being indoctrinated into gangs. Um, there was, I used to love, like, some great music. And I think there was a song, like, I need a soldier. Like, I need a, I need a, I need a, oh, I need a hood. Like, there's yeah, a lot yeah, of music, yeah. right? Yeah. There's a lot of music that that invalidates anyone that's less than a certain level of bravado. And so I think when we when we celebrate and honor those narratives that don't reflect the traditional, the hyper masculine and we and we open up space, we, we take it into our work, our music, mm-hmm. our music um, or whatever we do. Um, that becomes a new paradigm. That becomes a new zeitgeist. That's a problem. Yeah. Jimmy, real quick before we go. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to say it's uh, the spirit of inclusion. Really. I think we have a really long uh, way to go. I think there can be a lot more inclusion and diversity in our, our men's groups. And I think that, um, in addition to that, your personal experience, just really having, um, an anchored sense of self-awareness and acting and an integrity with yourself, showing up in integrity and honoring, honoring yourself, um, in community, um, is so incredibly important. I want to thank you both. For being here, my guests are Joseph Bosley, the founder of Men IQ, and Jimmy Addison, who's a men's coach and organizer of Conscious Men's Circle Nashville. Again, thank you both for being here in this conversation. It's not a conversation that comes on air a lot yeah. of times, so I really appreciate it. So thank appreciate you. you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Khalil. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll look at men's groups that offer support in a non-traditional way. Are you a man? What ways do you find support? You can tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Men's groups provide a positive environment for men to gather and discuss what is going on in their lives. Before the break, we heard about two groups that help men talk through things like mental health, relationships, and what it means to be a man. But there are other opportunities for men to get together and to find brotherhood and connection. My next guest helps to make that happen. Emmanuel Legrere is the founder of The Commonwealth, a men's group all about style. And Stacy Brown is co-pastor at Greater Nashville Church. Emmanuel, Stacy, thank you both for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. It's excellent being here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Now, now, Manny, your group, The Commonwealth, is based around style, which is pretty unusual, but also very cool. Yes. How did you decide to form a group like this? Well, it was based out of a need that I had, and I just kind of figured that other would, others would have the same need. You know, when I came out of grad school in 2015 here in Nashville, I went to Vanderbilt. Um, I started to create a personal brand for myself in the city through blogging and Instagramming and influencing and whatnot. And I got invited to these events, and they were great. They were well executed. I met tons of amazing people, but a lot of them were women's focused. And so I said, you know, as pretty as this is, 
I don't need a braid bar. I have no hair, you know, <laughs> I keep my hair cropped short, you know, and as, as again, as great as they were, I just felt like there was a gap in the market for men who were interested in style and, you know, tastings and previews and all these other things that a lot of the women were getting almost exclusive access to. Mm. And so I felt the need to kind of do that on my own. And that's where it came from. But also in that um, my interests uh, were in fashion and style and being in spaces where I felt welcomed was not something that I had come across often. And so giving that space to men, it was important to me as well. Describe what some of the gatherings are like. I know everybody looks good. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> uh, so the gatherings came, they come in a couple different forms, you know, so we do cocktail hours, happy hours, if you will. Uh, I've done panel discussions. I've done workshops where people come and make things. Um, so they vary and it kind of is contingent on or uh, malleable based on where it is. So if it's in a hotel, it's going to look different if it's in, then it's in someone's boutique. Um, and it's going to look different if it's in someone's house, you know. So another tenet of the events is to be in, found in spaces that are non, um, not normal where you would find an event typically. So it's, it's a really good time and the gentlemen really love it and I love uh, putting it on for them. Now, Stacey, I understand you're relatively new to Nashville, right? That's right. How long have you been here? January 1 of 2022. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so 18 months. Yeah. Yeah. Going on 19. Well, so what were some of the needs you observed that led you to start men's gatherings? Well, <clears throat> it's interesting. So um, uh, one of the uh, churches that I helped to lead back in Atlanta, um, I saw, you know, I saw the need there. You know, typically... You know, uh, men, we don't naturally do things, if you will, to congregate uh, outside of anything that we deem necessary. So, for instance, in uh, in an ecclesial space, ecclesial space, you know, uh, outside of maybe going to a church service or a meeting of some sort, mm -hmm. uh, men may not necessarily do that. Except for going to the, check out the game or something together. Bingo. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so... Um, it started with me um, during a particular time, I, you know, doing some personal devotions and kind of daily readings. And I came across a couple of scriptures, uh, both of them being in the Old Testament. And of, uh, and of course, you know, we know a lot of that has, you know, uh, Jewish influence and that kind of thing. But it talked about the men getting together three times a year. And it was something that God commanded. Mm hmm. And so um, and these were centered around uh, the festivals. Uh, like, for you know, for instance, uh, in Exodus, when it was first mentioned, it says three times a year, all your men are to appear before the sovereign Lord, the God of Israel. I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your territory um, when you come before the Lord three times a year to appear before him. And so uh, for me, I saw this opportunity uh, of, a, of a scriptural basis to help men get together. And so. Uh, what I found most successful in, you know, in terms of just organizing uh, and executing certain things, uh, a lot of times we like to go by quarters. I found, I've found that trimesters seem to work better. Hmm. Usually when you go by quarters, uh, even when you have something planned, it kind of just sneaks up on you quicker <laughs> than you anticipate. Yeah. And then you end up pushing it out another month or so anyway. And so anyway, so uh, I, I subdivide the year in, into uh, trimesters. And so first trimester, you know, I would make sure the men get, get got together. Second trimester, 
and third trimester. So th that first trimester would be like January through uh, April. You know, what's the significance, Stacey, of having the group involve men of faith? And how does faith inform your idea of manhood? So um, it's interesting because um, uh, in one of the other references in Deuteronomy 16, it talks about, and it's relative even to the, uh, the to the gentleman that you previously had in here, um, uh, one of the P's like being, being providers, you know, uh, making provision. And so <clears throat> in the Deuteronomy uh, portion where that command is re-given, it, it talks about how uh, the Lord, your God, will bless you and all your harvest and the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. Then three times a year, all of your men are to appear before the Lord. And so what it does is it allows us to be able to get together and to recognize that and all of the things that we've done. Because a lot of times, you know, we can just simply reduce what we're able to what we're able to produce and able to acquire mm. just on our own and not always understanding or even believing that uh, there is divine intervention and sometimes, uh, you know, supernatural interventions that happens uh, that allows us to be able to get that allows us to do that. And so it, it allows us to draw gravity and create attention uh, towards, you know, towards God, towards that higher power. Uh, it helps to really understand faith. And when it even says all of the men, uh, these gatherings that I have, it's not just exclusive to someone like, you know, you or I who seem to be in the same age demographic or in the, in the same socioeconomic demographic, you know, it's all the males. It's all the, it's all of the males. Little babies to old men. Absolutely. So, you know, the men get to be without excuses. Like, you know, well, mm. I, I got to stay home and watch my 10 month old son. No, we'll bring them. Bring them. Well, I had three kids. We'll bring them. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, th that's part, that's the, the lovely part of the atmosphere that we've created. And, you would be amazed to see how the men gravitate towards all of the younger ones uh, mm. that come. Uh, I, I even had one young man, he, he brought his daughter uh, to the men's gathering, and her presence was just amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, she, she was like seven or eight years old. <laughs> and the things that she had to input, because these gatherings are not just didactic, Mm -hmm. and directed by me only with where it's just my voice. These are facilitated so people get to participate on varying levels and All provide, right. you know, transference and counter-transference really is awesome. great. That's yeah. awesome. Now, you know, Manny, you know, I'm thinking about, like, style and stuff. There's expectations for what men can wear, what men are supposed to wear, mm -hmm. how they're supposed to be. How do you all kind of defy that, yet at the same time maintain a firm grasp of your expression of masculinity? Um, I think it just boils down to people feeling comfortable with who they are. And that's something that we try to promote in the events. You know, so many times when people want to come for the first time, they'll ask me, you know, what should I wear? You know, what should I have on? I'm like, whatever makes you feel confident and good and you stepping out in like, just put it on. You know, I have guys that come in three piece suits and I have guys that come in a baseball cap and a vintage tee and nice jeans. So it kind of runs the full gambit. Um, so it really, for me, is a matter of comfort level for the gentlemen that come. I want them to feel comfortable, accepted, and confident in what they're doing. They say a lot of the old saying, real men wear pink, you know? Um, we've I'm had, here for it. Yeah, so, so am I. One <laughs> I of my love wearing pink. <laughs> one of my favorite colors to wear all the time. All right, Manny, how have, how have you seen the connections of members of the group grow? How have friendships developed? 
firstly, I'll say they have definitely developed. You know, I have come into com uh, communication and contact with folks that I would not have met otherwise um, had I not gathered them together myself. And so I think on the outside of myself, you know, um, collaborations have happened in other businesses and we get makers together. So they've worked together and met on other affronts. Um, friendships, honest, good friendships have formed. I have a couple friends to this day who started coming to my events mm. and they're really good friends of mine. I've met their families, you know, spent time with their wives and kids. You know, it's been a full thing. So it's been gratifying to watch that on the back end as well. It's definitely happening for sure. I'm, I'm wondering about the diversity of the groups, you know? How, how important is that for you both to have a diverse group here of men? Because at the end of the day, men are men, even though there may be some cultural differences between the Hispanic community, mm -hmm. Caucasian community, African-American community, Asian community and things. We're still men in America. Yeah, for sure. How important is that to have a diverse group for you, Stacey? Um, it's, it's very important. Um, I believe it reflects, number one, uh, a lot of scriptural tenets uh, and themes that we see uh, throughout the Holy Text, uh, throughout the Bible in general. Um, I believe it embodies, you know, what Jesus talked about in terms of the Great Commission, making disciples of all nations. Um, you know, it's reflective of, you know, of, of all of those different things. Uh, and so that diversity is important. And it's amazing because it, in the specific church uh, that I help lead and co-pastor here, we are a very diverse congregation. Um, so I will put it demographically uh, probably at about uh, 60, maybe 60, yeah, about 60% white and uh, maybe 35 uh, African-American. Mm -hmm. And then the remaining uh, would be uh, um, um, a toss-up between uh, our Latin community mm -hmm. uh, and Asian community. Uh, are the men comfortable sharing parts of their culture with each other during the gatherings? I believe so. I believe that's been a, a great, um, I believe that's been a foundation that, that's been established mm. uh, even before I've come. I believe that what I've been able to do is just accentuate uh, the opportunities uh, and to create deeper opportunities for that uh, to happen in those gatherings. And so, again, when you talk about diversity, you know, you better believe like in our church, you know, uh, we will have people of different political affiliations, mm -hmm. right? You know, th those things bring very high tensions right now. Uh, of course, we have people who are, we have people who work for a McDonald's, uh, you know, maybe fl doing fries. And we have people who are multimillionaires, mm -hmm. you know, who are at our church. And so, you know, there are, it's, it's so wide, but when the men come together and they're able to center uh, under a spiritual atmosphere and to be guided, amazing things happen. Um, I, I remember even speaking of the, uh, you know, social and political things, I remember in one of the men's gatherings, we, we did this prayer at Love Circle at the top of Nashville. And so there was a particular part where, you know, where I facilitated like some confession and repentance and that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. so one of the gentlemen came up to me and after, afterwards he said, hey, you know, I haven't seen it was an African-American man. He said, I haven't seen this particular guy uh, who was white uh, in a while. And we haven't spoken because we had some pretty tense words. And uh, all of this was like centered around some of the George Floyd and those things during the pandemic. During, and so he goes. But when you did, I mean, you helped to facilitate this part for us to be open. 
and to confess and to make amends. He said, this is the first time I've talked to that person wow. in years. Wow. And, uh, and now things are on a great track. Yeah. Yeah. Finding ways to forge bonds, find forgiveness and ask for forgiveness. I really appreciate you both being here. Thank you both for being a part of this conversation. Emmanuel Legrere is the founder of The Commonwealth, a men's group based around style. He was joined by Stacey Brown, co-pastor at Greater Nashville Church. Again, thanks to you both for being here. Thank you. And thank to you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville. It's a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Magnolia McKay. Our senior producer is Steve Harouche. Michaela Elias is our technical director. And our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Jaffe Judah. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at thisisnashville. Find us on Instagram. And tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.